Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I am your host and joining me for part two of Cameron and Carissa Sprinkle's interview is Mel, our co-host. Mel, so great hello, to see hello. you. Aren't you excited about part two? Oh, I'm I'm just overjoyed. It's so good. It's really odd to say that we're excited about something, especially when someone's walked through so much hurt. But I think the reason I'm excited is because I'm excited for you to hear the healing journey of this couple. Exactly. Because it is powerful. And I'm I'm excited because I'm believing it's going to be a catalytic thing for people who are listening to this, that, that, that it, this is going to intercept some people who are currently going through a very similar struggle. And this is going to infuse some hope in you that you as well can heal through whatever journey you're going through. Because this is a continuation of the very beginning of our sexual betrayal series. Yes. Yeah. And I love it because um, we did a whole series on mental health at the beginning of September. And um, you kind of mentioned this last time, but uh, we just started this on sexual betrayal and Cameron will really be speaking about some mental health issues that he had in this episode. Um, And so, yeah, this is two out of five of our sexual betrayal series. Yeah. And what we're seeing uh, kind of a theme in a lot of people's stories is that there are layers of different types of complexities that lead into people's stories, especially in places where something begins to get unhealthy. So emotionally you get unhealthy and so it affects your marriage or your finances or whatever it is. And so you're going to see how one thing kind of rolls into another. And that's what Cameron really addresses quite a bit in this. And so for this particular episode, because it's the culmination of this really long two-part interview, we've brought Julie Dodson back. She's going to provide a counselor counselor's perspective commentary at the end of this. And so Julie is, um, she is my counselor. She's mine and Christy's counselor. And so she uh, has helped us as we're trying, as we have blended a family and as we have married under um, a lot of different types of complexities within our own pasts and our relationships and our own trauma that we've had to deal with. And so she's just got an incredible perspective on um, healthy marriages, particularly within the the con- the context of trauma. Yeah, and if you're curious about Julie, we actually had her on the show um, on episode 70. So if you'd like to hear her story or um, know more about her, you can go back and look up that episode. Um, and then this week, it's very exciting because we are opening up the Israel trip oh, to every single person. I'm so excited. So um, our monthly partners passed nothing is wasted guests, anybody. So if you want um, a spot, con- go to the nothing is wasted website and, and sign up for this trip because it's going to be phenomenal. Yep. You'll be able to access that from the nothing is wasted website on October 10th. So it's going out to everybody. So you'll be able to check that out. Nothing is wasted.com. Also, while you're there, here's what we would like for you to do. We are starting a brand new platform for sharing your stories. We have gotten so many stories uh, submitted to Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, and we honestly we are <laughs> reco- we are recorded out. It's crazy. We are recorded out on podcasts through like March of next year. 
which is That's insane. We're like, awesome. there's so many great stories. Of, but so because of that, we wanted to open up another platform that we can share stories because I would just believe that the sharing of your story is quite possibly the most impactful testimony that anybody can, um, that, and, and the most impactful way to, to help other people come to faith or reignite their faith, um, even better than just kind of like, you know, didactically or logically trying to tell somebody why they should believe. When you share your faith, when you share your story, your personal experience of how, how God came into your situation, it does something so powerful for other people and it does something so powerful for you. Yeah. And so we want to provide another opportunity for you to do that. And so if you go to nothingiswasted.com slash stories, there is going to be a place where we're going to have stories there displayed. You can read them and also a place for you to submit your story. And then we're also going to share these stories on at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries Instagram uh, as well. And so this is just another way for us to try to get more and more great stories of healing and redemption, people walking through difficult trial and yet their faith being bolstered and, 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 and then, then loaning their faith out to other people. Uh, as well in this whole process. And so exactly, Davey. Yeah. So, so yeah. make sure you go again, nothingiswasted.com slash stories. I'm super excited about this new platform. This is going to be awesome. Davey, I'm so excited to hear more and more stories. And speaking of stories, we hear um, how God is using this podcast in your lives when you rate and review this podcast. Mm -hmm. And so if you look us up on iTunes and uh, click on Nothing is Wasted, leave us a little review, rate us. We would uh, be so appreciative. Yeah. Um, it really encourages our hearts to hear how it's being used in your life. And so let's listen to Carissa and Cameron's conversation. Okay, we're back with Cameron and Carissa, and um, where we left off in the last part of the interview, uh, Cameron, you had you had just come clean to Carissa about um, this this affair that you were having. You were on staff at a church, and um, and then also this several years. I mean, the past five years specifically of this full fledged addiction to pornography, and. Um, and so what I'd love to do is I'd love to turn the conversation and begin talking about some of this recovery because obviously, um, spoiler alert, you guys have gone through a lot of healing. Mm -hmm. You're sitting here at this table together yeah. with me, which is just an incredible testimony to the miracles mm -hmm. that God works in people's lives, reconciliation that takes place, redemption mm -hmm. that he writes into even the, the hardest of stories, and testimony to the fact that you guys... And in, in some way, you decided that you this was not going to be the end of your story. And so, um, you know, I think you were right. What you said in the last conversation, the last part of this, you said something about how people think that confession automatically heals you. And and, and pastors are even guilty of preaching that. You know, it's like, yeah. confess your sins to one another and be healed. Okay. Um, yes, that's true. You, you The scripture does indicate that confession leads to healing. Yeah. But confession is the first step. Yep. It's the first step of healing. Mm -hmm. Then you guys had to begin taking some some steps and mm -hmm. some probably grueling hard steps. Yeah. So why don't you talk to me about what was next then? When did first of all, when did you decide, okay, we're gonna we're gonna fight through this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um 
so I moved back into the house. He went and stayed with his parents. Um, and it was somewhere in that first few weeks that I felt like God was just starting to make it clear that if Cameron, I feel like he just, he just said this to me, if, if Cameron, um, as long as Cameron continues to move forward, I want you to move forward. Mm. Not everyone gets that message from God. Wow. Um, and I knew it, it wasn't harsh him saying that it wasn't like you do this or else. Mm. It felt very loving, very gentle. Mm. And like, if he stops moving forward, then I am done. I'm just going to be done. Almost like a hopeful, like your father going, Hey, as long as he's moving forward, yes. there's hope in this. There's healing on the other side of this. Yes. Wow. Mm. And I knew he wanted to move forward. I knew he had no idea how, but I knew that he hated where his life had ended up. Mm. And he wanted to move forward and he was open to anything. So um, it took several weeks to even figure out what to do. Um, but where we landed um, was we decided we found this wonderful place called His High Places in North Carolina. They have several locations, but um, this at the time they were located in the hills of North Carolina. They've moved to a different place in North Carolina now, but um, it was up in the mountains, this beautiful cabin, mm-hmm. and it was an intensive. And they specialized in helping people heal from wounds mm-hmm. that cause addictions like pornography. And they specialized in working with people in ministry. They okay. knew that people in ministry need a safe place to go. Right. And so I loved their heart for this ministry and it was the perfect place. And so um, he went for two weeks by himself and then I went for a week by myself. Mm-hmm. And man, Doing an intensive, I just have to say, is just the way to go if you can make it happen to get momentum like that and to have no distractions and really face stuff. It's It's so true. Like It's it's good to have the ongoing, regular, weekly counseling, the 50-minute hour. It's great. But, man, sometimes you really just need to deep dive into this thing. And you're right, get momentum. Yes. It It, didn't happen overnight. It doesn't. It's not going to go away overnight. We think everybody should do this at least once in their life. Oh, I mean, everyone's got something. It doesn't have to be trauma or tragedy. We've got stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, we've all got stuff. So... So I, I just remember my first meeting um, with my counselor, Anita. She was in her 70s, and I think she's just about the wisest woman I've ever met. Um, she had an answer for everything. She had a scripture for everything. She was just super, super wise. And oh, I'll never forget it. I think it was day one. I sat down and I said, I have respect for myself. I don't know how to be true to myself and stay married. I feel mm. like if I stay married to him, that's like saying, I tolerate it Mm. and I don't tolerate this. He broke the covenant. He broke his vows. He broke everything. And if I don't tolerate that, if I want to respect myself and stay true to myself and not tolerate it, then that means this has to be over. Mm. That was the only way I could rectify this in my mind. Right. So weeks which, I was Which is this. the message of the world. It is. It, it is. is the black and, and white this is, message you're right, of the world. This is exactly yeah. right. when it all shifted for me. Mm. Um, and I'll never remember, I'll never forget what she said. It was just life changing, but she looked me straight in the face and she was so sweet and so caring and just validated my pain all over the place. So she was just wonderful, but she so wisely looked at me and just said, you're not here to be true to yourself. You're here to be true to the Lord. And he's the one who changes everything in this. And so that's the moment that I I like to tell people the gospel changed my life twice. The first time was I got saved when I was 11. Technically I got saved when I was 11. And the second time 
was now this moment when I had to decide that I was going to forgive my husband for my wow. deepest pain and wow. betrayal. What she the said, gospel was so different to me in that moment. Yes, because what she said was, yes, Carissa, you are right. Yes. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. But God's ways don't make sense. Exactly. The gospel <laughs> does not make sense. Yes, the yeah. gospel does not make sense. And mm-hmm. if you want a miracle to happen in your life, mm-hmm. you're going to have to walk the path that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Wow. This is supernatural. And this is exactly why he died. I'm like, I knew that he did. And I, I got, you know, I prayed for him to forgive my sins. My whole life grew up in the church, but for him to forgive something that in my mind was, this is not forgivable. This is right. intolerable. Right. There's no other way around it for her to say, no, because he came here and he chose to repent. He chose to confess. He chose to change his ways. He did all of these steps and continued to do all these steps. Because of those things, Jesus says, no, mm. he's, he's clean now. He's different. He's white. He's new. This is a new man. Therefore, this is a new marriage. Wow. This is a different marriage. This, isn't, this doesn't mean you tolerate it. Yeah. This is just doing a completely different marriage than what we've done before. Ooh, wow. Wow. So you had to choose to see beyond what was reality right there. Yeah. Yeah. And say, okay. Um, yeah. You know, which is different than, uh, I don't know why I feel like I need to say this, but it's, it's different than going like, oh no, I, I'm, I can change this person. I can, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like there are some people who are, or who are in, and I would say in their context, uh, in some ways trapped volitionally in a relationship that they're going like, I can change this person. I yeah. can change this person. I can change uh-huh, this person. Uh-huh. Right? It's a totally different. Con- this is you choosing to see what God is writing in this. <laughs> and it was clear and evident. It wasn't clear maybe, but it was evidenced by the fact that he had this broken and contrite heart. Mm-hmm. He was entering into the, the path that didn't make sense. Uh-huh, uh-huh. He was entering into that. And so uh-huh. God's inviting you both into it going, this doesn't make a lick of sense, but here we go. Exactly. Let's figure. Let's 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 figure out what God has for us. Yeah. Cameron, as you stepped into that setting um, at his high places, what was that like for you? Um, you know, I, I know that we referenced off here that you started doing some deep work, not just not just in regards to, to quote unquote treating this addiction. Yeah. But but digging into the roots behind some of this. Yeah, man. Um, this was a really tense thing to go do because I felt like this was my last shot. Mm. Like if this doesn't work, nothing ever will because um, I wasn't, you know, some, some um, people when they, uh, when an affair gets found out, uh, they have ambition of maintaining that other relationship or moving mm. forward with it. I had no, and I had none of that. I was just terrified and miserable. And I felt like I'd been trying to outrun my sin you know, for so long mm. that when it finally ran me down, I was actually relieved. Mm. And mm. separate from all the devastation that I, I felt for what I'd done, I felt like maybe now I can finally get the help that I've never gotten. Um, and so when I got there, um, there was just immediately just something about that place that, and the way that they, they welcomed me, uh, even when I first got there, that told me like, okay, I think I'm in the right place. Mm-hmm. And I just passed out on the bed and just cried. Like I felt like I was finally safe, maybe for the first time in my life. I knew something powerful was about to happen. Wow. Um, and so I learned so much um, there. Um, I got, you know, I think it was like two, 
two hour counseling sessions, one on one, like one you get morning, a dedicated person mm-hmm. with you the whole week, and maybe you watch a lot of resources when you're not in counseling. And so it was just a fire hose of yeah. of everything that was missing in my life, everything that I didn't understand, and um, you know what I what I I think the key to beating addiction is to believing you can intellectually, mm-hmm. um, because I always I just given up. And so uh, I tried so many things. I was like, I just don't believe I can. And so um, they taught me uh, over the course of those two weeks, um, addiction finally made sense to me for the first time in my Mm. life. I watched a a DVD series called The Conquer Series, Mm. uh, which I absolutely recommend to anybody struggling. Um, It uh, has Christian neurologists and scientists talking about mental health. Pastors. Yeah, pastors. Um, explaining wow. how the brain works and why, mm-hmm. and when you understand how it happened, you can un- unwire and rewire. Right. And so, I felt like something clicked in me, and I finally believed I could do this. Mm. And uh, so, I got the practical tools to do that. Um, but none of that would work if the central uh, core of me didn't change. Um, and that's the truth behind uh, any uh, addiction mm-hmm. is a mental health struggle. Mm-hmm. And the way I like to describe mental illness is that when somebody is, uh, has mental illness, they are um, misperceiving reality mm-hmm. in some way. And um, that for me and for most people runs very, very deep into their childhood. Mm-hmm. And so basically you have this child who is uh, forming his worldview, learning how things work, uh, and then when bad things happen, they fold that into their assumption of who they are and how the world works. Create mm. belief systems out yeah, of it. Yeah, creates a belief system. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in my case, I revisited things that I'd never, you know, I had repressed memories. Uh, I never would have said prior to this time that I had a traumatic childhood. Uh, but mm. digging into it, I realized I had a very traumatic childhood. Um I want to honor my parents, uh, and I think I'll say that I'll do that by saying they're very different people today than the people that that raised mm-hmm. me. They were very young parents. Um, my dad, especially, uh, just didn't know what to do mm-hmm. with me. He had his own uh, issues. He provided for me. Um, he had his own uh, dad that was in and out of his life that mm-hmm. struggled with addiction. And so when you start pulling on the thread, you see how far back it goes. Yeah. Um, I had, uh, I wore hearing aids. I had hearing loss um, mm-hmm. and I had, um, I had, I had, I had traumatic uh, repressed memories around that, um, including a couple incidents where I was taunted and teased by adults mm-hmm. Uh, who were making fun of me in a large group setting mm-hmm. where I just felt absolutely humiliated. And um, probably around, I don't know, eight years old. Um, and uh, I got, you know, teased and bullied. I also had like a lot of surgeries and mm-hmm. a lot of things that like in the middle of the night being rushed to the hospital regarding my ears that, um, so I just knew that I w- I'd, something about me was broken. Um and then also uh, being exposed to pornography at a young age, mm. uh, people don't consider that trauma. Uh, but the way I like to classify trauma is trauma is anything that God did not design your brain to be able to handle. Wow. And so your brain, a child's brain isn't supposed to know how to process it yeah. when, when dad lives in a different house. Wow. Now. 
a child brain isn't supposed to know how to handle it um, when um, when their parents are unloving to yeah. them. God always intended for them to have loving parents. So yeah. this um, is so. I mean, that's such an important. I'll just kind of pause for a second. That's yeah. such an important distinction right there. As you know, parents, we're parents of young children. Mm-hmm. And we're constantly having to make decisions for our kids, what to expose them to, what what to not expose them to. I feel like so often I see parents who are just flippant with what they expose their parent, their kids to. You know, yeah. even down to the small things like what are they allowing their kids to watch? What are they allowing mm-hmm. their kids to listen to? Mm-hmm. Not recognizing that these things form some very early, oh, yeah. early traumatic do. things that they do not know how to process or handle. Yeah. And these little young, formidable brains are being, you know, taken down this path that's going to wind up mm-hmm. later... Man, it's so it's so so important to be intentional about this with your kids. Yeah, but anyway, I'm sorry, we, we don't right want there, to scare parents into being like, "Oh man, well, yeah, freaks out about just everything." Just educate that. Yeah, but it's, I think, it but doesn't take careful. near as much as what people think to. Yeah. Let their have their child go through something traumatic. Yeah, right. I think but we think it has to. It be also this doesn't big thing. take perfection; it takes intention. Exactly, that's it. Mm-hmm. So, so about with your child. You can fix that immediately by coming back and saying, you know what? And apologizing. Daddy did not handle that well, yep. and I'm so sorry, and you do not deserve to be treated that way, and will you forgive me? Yeah. And that really like erases it like immediately. It teaches totally. them something powerful. Well, okay, uh, Christy might be mad at me for sharing this, but <laughs> just, a few, just a few days ago, she and I get in a little like disagreement over, you know, and a little spat in the car. Kids are in the back, and we get a little elevated, right? Now, we don't call each other names. We don't, we're arguing fair, but we're elevated there. Mm-hmm. And in the back of both of our minds, we're going, we shouldn't be talking about this right now in front of our kids, especially mm-hmm. in this way. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of an urgent thing that we had to talk about. Yeah. We had to decide on right there and it got us both a little elevated. And so then later we're sitting around the, the, the dinner table and both the kids are expressing to us like how that made them feel. Because we've created oh, a practice with our kids of talking about what makes you feel, what's your peak and pit, all this yeah. kind of stuff during the day. And they expressed that that, they didn't like that. They didn't, and so both Christy and I, but we had to, you know, grab each other's hands and say, "Listen, just like you two disagree, we we do sometimes too, and we're not going to call each other names. We're not going to belittle each other. We're not going to, but we are sorry. We should not have gotten elevated. We should not have done that in front of you. You know, and you're right. Being able to just so own good. that, that's so go, powerful. It is. I'm it's so, so sorry. Powerful. And, and and it can you can be kind of embarrassed to do that in front of your kids. Yeah. Like, yeah. But it says, That's it teaches exactly. them way more than yeah. perfection yeah. or keeping everything stuffed. Right. That is this whole issue. Yeah. Right. So that's really, wow. really awesome. Wow. Yeah. Sorry to kind of go off no, on a I mean, tangent. It's a great tangent. Yeah. yeah, it's a yeah. great tangent. I mean, really, we're really passionate about that message. Mm-hmm. And well, I just want to add something to what you said earlier is that this pornography addiction, just in things that we've learned, the misconception about... Um, pornography addiction or sex addiction is that it's about sex. Mm. And really, um, a lot of times there's been sexual trauma, mm-hmm. not every time, um, but it's really a pain medicator. It's a yep, drug. That's it. The same way that alcohol and that's drugs exactly are. exactly right. So, yep. yep. And you can swap out, you know, a number of Other different things, things yeah. as yes. the the coping mechanism yes. or the medication. It's not like, wow, he must just be a pervert. I mean, that's right. obviously what you would yeah. think. Right. It's a pain medicator and there's yeah, a lot right. of pain. We yeah. talked about that word the other day, pervert, and uh, how people have generally direct it towards uh, men who mm-hmm. struggle with unwanted sexual behavior or desires. Um, and it's such a dirty word and that's part of what creates the shame around mm-hmm. men struggling with sexually unwanted behavior or desires. But I told her it's actually incredibly accurate because what it means to pervert something is to take something uh, and use it for something it wasn't intended mm. to be used for. So we actually pervert chocolate. 
We pervert, <laughs> we pervert your ads. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, When exactly. we go to Netflix, uh, instead of dealing with marital dispute, we're like, you know what, let's just watch The Office and forget that happened. Yeah. We're perverting Netflix because mm. we're saying, do something for me that uh, Steve Carell never meant mm. for this show to do. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, so yeah, I think it's a word just misunderstood, but it's, the, the concept is really important yeah. for people to understand that we're all perverting things every day. You can pervert yeah. Starbucks, you know? Mm. The conversation you had with this this woman that said, you know, that was there at the retreat and said, um, you know, you like, you were like, I can't tolerate this. I can't. Mm-hmm. I also want to kind of bring some tension or some balance into that because I think there are, especially in today's culture, there are so many wives who are like, you know what? Every man struggles with pornography, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I believe that that's kind of more of a coping mechanism in and of its own right for mm-hmm. the woman to mm-hmm. just, you know, they, they feel well, that yeah, like, too painful hurt to know the truth. Like, you know what? Whatever. Yeah. It's con- everybody does it. So, yeah. Whatever. And they kind of accept that. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to that a little bit in the sense that there's a tension there of mm-hmm. not tolerating something and yet, yeah, you know, walking in that those yeah. grace steps as well. So I love that you brought that up. That's a it's a big hot topic of mine. Um, I believe 100 percent you can have grace and boundaries at the exact same time. Mm. And you should. So I never had boundaries before. I always had way too much grace. And um, I. uh walked through these steps of forgiveness. This was a big thing to come to is to get to forgiveness. And we as betrayed partners, we we do eventually, we have to forgive. And, and one of the misconceptions around forgiveness is that it's the result of healing when it's actually the means to healing. Mm. And that was something Anita wow. walked me through and I just had it all wrong. Mm. I had so many things about it wrong that it was saying it was okay if I forgave him. And so just learning what forgiveness was is yeah. what helped me to do it. And that's what brought deeper healing. Mm. I also want to say that when it comes to a betrayed partner, we have to be very careful with the forgiveness word. In our recovery group, we actually call it the F word because, mm. because it actually gets abused a lot in this whole thing. Um, a lot of women are in abusive situations around some of these things and they're told to forgive because that's biblical. Mm. And when you say abusive, you mean kind of spiritually abusive from people yes, trying, trying to very help. Spiritually all, not necessarily abusive. the husband, right. but right. like people trying to help. Right. right. And Um, And yes, the command is good. The heart for that is good. The problem is um, the woman or the betrayed partner isn't getting taken care of. Mm. So what they're hearing is God wants me to forgive more than he cares about how I'm actually doing. Mm. And the fact that I'm hurt and that I'm getting hurt and continuing to get hurt because there's not boundaries. And so I I completely get why God um, values forgiveness so much. Yeah. It's powerful and it's life-changing and it is the avenue to healing. Um, I also get why boundaries, even in a marriage, need to be taken really seriously. Mm-hmm. And a counselor can really help set those if you have no idea where to start. Mm-hmm. And she helped us guide that a lot. It was with her that it was really helpful for me to say, hey, here's what happened or here's Mm -hmm. what he said. And again, with dealing with mental illness as a big component of all of this, things were dysfunctional, but that was all I knew. So I had no idea they were dysfunctional. So to sit down with our counselor and say, here's what happened. Here's what he said to me. Here's what he did or whatever. Here's how he explained it. And for her to say, "Uh, that is not okay. Mm -hmm. 
and this isn't normal and this, it shouldn't be like this. This is not a healthy marriage. Mm. So no wonder you're full of resentment. No wonder you're terrified. No wonder your walls are sky high. Like this Mm. isn't a healthy marriage. This isn't the way that God designed it to look like. So boundaries are absolutely important. And so when we came back from his high places, actually is when we got back together, it was a couple months later Mm. and while forgiveness was in place, there was a lot of boundaries mm. put in place too. And we still have a lot of those same boundaries. Okay. I don't want to like fast forward through yeah. this retreat and the recovery process by, by any means. What were some of the components that you guys realized were imperative for you to be able to begin a recovery process? What were the big key pillars that were like, man, that right there, wow, that was monumental for our recovery Yeah. So, um, I think what's monumental to recovery, you know, even just for an individual, uh, working through addiction is going all the way back to the root of your belief system and and how those Mm. things got there and letting God tell you the truth about those situations. And so, um, because the child misinterprets, Mm. um, their experience, they develop what we, what's called inner vows. Um, for example, my inner vow was, I will never trust men. I will never trust men to take care of me, to listen, uh, to, to, to nurture me in any way. So uh-huh. I've never really had close relationship with men ever yeah. again um, until, you know, a couple of years ago where I realized I, I really have to. Mm. Uh, I had guy friends, but none of them ever really truly knew me because I never truly trusted them. Um, so uh, the basically I, I got down to the point where um, they asked a question in one of the forgiveness modules. They said, what do you need to forgive God for? Mm. And uh, I was like, Phew. You know, God's perfect. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, but do you have anything that you're holding against mm-hmm. him? And I said, I don't know, maybe, um, you know, I, the fact that he gave such a sensitive boy to a, a, a harsh young man who didn't know what to do with him. And I don't know, maybe that he didn't give me the same hearing he gave everybody else. And the counsel, my counselor, Richard, he said, hmm. And I heard what I just said and I just fell apart. Mm. And I didn't know that those were the questions that had fractured the foundation of my worldview. Mm. But I suddenly was filled with this incredible rage. Like, God, why would you do that? Mm. And I, it was right at the end of our counseling session. And I went out, uh, it was a beautiful place to be upset. I went out to the, this lake <laughs> in the mountain and I was so angry with God. And I was like, I'm not talking to you. And he's, mm. I told the, the God who's outside of space and time that he was going to have to wait. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> Go for it, buddy. Um, and eventually I, I talked to Carissa. She was just an amazing friend. Like even during that time, I called her and I was so upset. And I felt like God had to uh, revisit those things and, and tell me the truth about mm. them. And and uh, the truth wasn't perfect, but it, it made sense to me. And and uh it was a really deep healing moment that, you know, it can't do it justice by even ever telling anybody about it. But basically he said, I wanted you to be the, exactly who you are today. Mm-hmm. And I could only do that by combining your parents. And uh, I knew hmm. that it, like it broke my heart that this is how I had to get you here. Um, but you are exactly who I intended for you to mm-hmm. be. And that made sense to me because my, my mom's side of the family was musical and my dad was uh, incredible with people 
and you combine uh, people mm. skills with music and you've got a worship leader. Mm. And, uh, and, I, and, and it extended so far beyond that. But I was like, I felt like the Lord said it yeah, to wow. me. And I was like, I will accept that. Yeah. And about my ears, um, he, we had to go through what uh, they call the healing of memories where they ask the Holy Spirit to inspire you to return to those painful mm. memories and ask uh, what Jesus was doing mm. or saying to you in those moments. Yeah. And so, um, man, that was hard. But I went back to this memory where I was being taunted by adults and... Um, and for my hearing aids, my hearing loss, and I had this vision of Jesus kneeling before me, um, which mm. immediately, you know, was powerful. Right. That he would get on my level, a child's level. Um, and he put his hands on my ears and he said, um, no, Cameron, you can't hear what everyone else hears. Mm. But one day you will hear things that no one else hears. Wow. And, uh, and that kind of tied back into, I felt like God spoke to me in ways that like didn't make sense to Carissa. Like... I do feel like I hear from the Lord in ways that like people around me can't relate mm -hmm. to um, things that he's spoken over my life and stuff. And then also just even uh, music mm -hmm. that um, I knew he'd given me a rare gift to be able to play music naturally. And so uh, to be, when you're wounded as a child, mm -hmm. you have to be healed as a child. And so that's the perfect thing to say to yeah. a little boy, you have special ears. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. you're not, you're not, uh, I didn't miss you on the assembly line. Mm -hmm. I gave you something special on purpose. And so, that was the day that I felt like God finally had my whole heart mm. for the first time. And I'm not a mistake. I'm not, uh, I'm not inferior. Mm -hmm. God made me on purpose. And it's kind of, uh, you know, put on my God Christian cape. I was like, God gave me a cape. <laughs> and like, you know, it was, it was just the resurgence of a little boy who believed in himself maybe wow. for the first time. And that's what it took to kickstart the recovery. Because mm -hmm. if I, if I came back to Carissa, still not trusting God mm -hmm. that I'd be looking to her to affirm this thing that she could not possibly affirm. And mm -hmm. so, um, out of that, I, that was the foundation. And so I went all the way there and then began to rebuild on top of that all over again, the truth about God, who, who God said I was and his goodness. And, wow. um, yeah, so that was, that was, uh, it was kind of like, we talk, talk about that experience, like the shack, the, the book or the yeah, movie that right. it was just incredible. And so, um, then coming back out of that, uh, it wasn't, uh, it was still hard. It was still mm. a little messy trying to, I had withdrawal period for my mm. addiction. I had to learn what acting out was and that it mm. wasn't just, you know, uh, taking things all the way. Um, but that even pursuing things for mental pleasure, mm. you know, just to see something yeah. that that was acting out, that I was essentially making an idol out of, mm. uh, either women or sex or whatever which was a level of purity that I'd never conceived of before. Hmm. And, um, but yeah, we, we put these boundaries in place, which initially made me feel, you know, like I was a child. Um, but I quickly saw that they were actually protecting mm -hmm. me because like, I don't right. want to do this anymore. Right. I didn't want to see anything ever again. And so uh, we took like the internet down to where I had a different user on our mm -hmm. Mac. And, and I only had like, the only websites are allowed were like my email and I don't remember what no else. Social but, media. Yeah, no social media. No Safari, Deleted no all my nothing. accounts. Yeah. Which, if we're honest, might be a good detox for everyone. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> he loved it, actually. I was thrilled. <laughs> I Insider secret, he thought it was awesome. Yeah, Seriously. I didn't yeah. check the news. I wasn't <laughs> like yeah. uh, everything yeah. that's wrong with the Internet today went out the window. And suddenly it was just me, my new heart, uh, my wife, and my daughter. Mm -hmm. And um, that part of it was great. Uh, but it was 
the next year and a half was excruciating. Mm -hmm. And we want to kind of set that expectation for people because I think sometimes people can hit, like it goes really well for a few weeks. They hit like their first road bump. Oh, it didn't work. Didn't work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I said it was like army crawling, like to Texas, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just, just like day after day. I mean, awful. She'd get triggered, throw things and say things. Yeah. And, um, the trauma was really yeah, rough. Yeah, the trauma. Yeah, right. Yeah. Was right. huge. Um, and, 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 yeah. and distrust is such a difficult one to overcome oh, yeah. because you're yeah. right. Any small thing, even if like, mm-hmm. you know, even if you hadn't done something that was a lie, if it felt or if there, if there was some suspicion mm-hmm. whatsoever, it can trigger you into that. Oh, same, yeah. Bring you back into the same That'll feeling That'll still that even happen sometimes depending Absolutely. on what it is. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so mm-hmm. difficult to move beyond that. Talk to me a little bit about that the next year and a half. I know, you know, you just kind of summarized that, but talk to me about some of the challenges that, Mm -hmm. that you faced in that, you know, so now we're on the timeline. We're talking, we're, we're what year, when are we? Well, um, I will say one thing that set up that next year was, um, what can often happen in situations like these is as, um, someone in Cameron's situation sobers up as we've kind of been saying, um, new things to confess will come to him. Mm. And so we call that a trickle out confession and um, highly recommend against it because um, so that's kind of what happened with us for the next several months things would come to him and he felt like... He's like, man, I've, I've got to share I this. I need to because, be clean, you yeah. need to know. Yes, they wow. were the serious, serious that, things. And that makes a lot of sense to me that that would be what his response would be. You know, yeah. that it would this be just like, I want to heal, I feel this, this is what it takes. Yeah, I feel yeah. this purity that I've never felt before. Yeah, right? I haven't felt in a long, long time. Yeah. And now all of a sudden something taints that. I yeah. need to get this out. I need to talk yeah. about it. How, what would you suggest otherwise? What um, we've kind of learned in the recovery world, and this will sound really crazy, but he actually took a polygraph. Um, When you've been married to someone who's just kind of learned how to be a professional liar, Mm. um, shame taught him that, um, you never know where the baseline is. You never know when it's over. So, I mean, these confessions were coming for months and Mm. I just never knew when the bottom was ever going to, we were ever going to hit it. And so if you don't know when that's coming, you don't really know what to build off of. Mm. And so um, in the recovery world, there's so many more resources and help out there that is just amazing, which is so much our heart to get that out into the hands of people. So they're just not so lost. Um, But there are people who will walk with you through this where you see, sit down with a counselor and um, the addict will take a polygraph that basically proves and he'll have a full disclosure where he discloses all of his sexual history. Yeah, like they give you like one a couple setting. weeks to so like, you need to, to remember prepare everything it. Wow. Yes. about your sexual brokenness. And then in one setting, they'll do this disclosure. Now we did not actually do this right away and I regret that. Yeah, I did the too. trickle out dis- Everybody, told, the guys in my group told me like, I yeah. wish I would have done it this way, just do it. Yeah. And I was like, no, like there's still part of me that was terrified and fighting. Like she doesn't really need to know that. She gets it. Like I told yeah. her the biggest one, Yeah. Mm-hmm. why does she need to know this? And I wrestled with God about that and... uh I said, God, why, why do I have to, why did I have to tell her, you know, get every little thing out? And he said, because I'm a good doctor and a good doctor wouldn't leave anything in you that's not supposed to be there. Mm. And I was like, it's, man, a, full wow. it's a full surgery. <laughs> well, that's a good yeah. answer. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. So it was, so it was, it was actually a year later that we officially did the polygraph. Mm. At that point, he really had told me everything, but because of the trauma that we'd gone through in those moments, that was when the doubts always hit me. I was like, eh, is he really telling the truth? And so the polygraph doing that, um, 
allowed me to have a clear mind that, okay, no, everything he told me was true. Mm. And has he been sober for a year? Yes, he has. He can Mm. prove it with a polygraph now. And for him, it was a victorious moment of saying like, I've been telling you that I'm clean, that I'm doing this. Now I can prove it in a really tangible way. So that's really powerful. And we'll actually probably do another one. A lot of times they'll do kind of maintenance over several years just to provide further stability and a foundation to build off of. Wow. It went from being something that condemned me to something that protected her. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, at that point when I had told her everything, I was like, now all I want is, I just desperately want her to know that I'm telling the truth. Mm. And like, well, there's a way you can do that is to do a polygraph. And I was like, yes. Mm. So <laughs> I was still terrified when I did it. Cause I thought like, maybe it's going to like misread me or something. Uh, um, I think they're always but, scared of that, but that's yeah, very rare. But that it's that actually happens. like smarter than that. The system is, I yeah. guess. And, and so it was, it was a great day. The other wow. thing that gives peace of mind that they say is to, to um, show that someone is truly in recovery is uh, these four signs that are they humble, broken, willing, and open. And I actually mm. like to add a, another one, which is empathetic. Those are all things that someone who's deep in addiction can't, uh, they can't fake for very long. So that was going on over the course of a couple of years now yeah. on top of having a polygraph to show. And actually Lisa Turker says, I love her statement when she says um, that it's time plus believable behavior. And so yeah. seeing that too is what continued to just bring reassurance and change. And he would still come to me and say, it's like it would just hit him in these moments where he would be devastated for me again and say, I'm so sorry that happens. And that still happens. And so just all of those things, seeing that progression and the actual change, it's not, it wasn't words anymore. It was, Mm. things are actually changing. That really began to build a foundation for us to move forward. I think a key key part of that is I went from protecting myself and transition into protecting her mm. at my own, wow. you know, at, at my own, own expense yeah. or your own, yeah, fall essentially. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, so the recovery groups I've been referring to, um, were actually started by, in our area, we're started by Michael and Kristen Carey called Women in Battle and Men in Battle. Um, and they'll actually be yeah. on the show. Yeah, in a and couple of weeks we'll yeah. release their awesome. interview. Yeah. They're amazing. Um, and mm. so it was so great. We both went once a week. He went to one for men with unwanted sexual behavior. And then I went to one for partners mm. and, um, they walked us through curriculum. They brought in speakers. We would meet in small groups every single week. And I just uh, remember after being so publicly humiliated, Mm. being able to walk into this room and feel normal. Wow. It's one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had that I never even got on a Sunday morning. So like we had church down in that basement working through recovery in a way I've never experienced anywhere else. And so it was powerful. And I know there's groups like this scattered around, and so that along with counseling saved us completely. Mm. Well, I'm so glad you mentioned this, you know, the recovery groups, because, you know, this is one of those things that is, a, is still an ongoing process for you guys. And yep. it's totally. still, totally. it might be for the rest of your lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're all on the journey to recovery in mm-hmm. some form or Amen. fashion. <laughs> yeah. Yep. For the but rest of our lives. Can you guys speak to that um, in terms of the this ongoing journey? I mean, present day, what, is, what yeah. does that look like for you guys? Yeah. So I... Uh, I, when I came back from inside places, I, I started seeing my counselor again once a week. I went to this group once a week. 
Um, we had all the boundaries at home. Um, and I tried to work on building a relationship with men. Um, and, uh, really hit like a, a, a golden summer with the Lord where I was just like so dependent on him. And, and we just were really starting to see like hope again and fruit again. Um, and that, but then that fall, uh, I really crashed, um, with depression, um, mm. and went to see a psychiatrist and, uh, eventually got diagnosed with major depressive disorder, mm. um, which explained a lot. I've always had, a, had trouble seeing things in a, a positive light. Um, I've always been easily upset by things. And so um, I got put on uh, medicine for that, mm. which I had long, I always thought I deserved to feel the way I felt. Right. Uh, mm. But what I came to understand was that it's actually like a chemical imbalance. Mm. It's like refusing to wear glasses because mm. you think that like you don't deserve to see. Like that's <laughs> silly. Uh, but so many people think yeah. like it's weak. And I'm right. like, you are just sticking it to yourself. Mm. And I finally realized that. And man, the, the medicine, um, the, the psychiatrist said it, it doesn't... Um, doesn't make you do the right thing, but makes mm. the right things easier to do. Hmm. Um, but wow. the truth of that, so it helped a ton. Um, but I've also been on a journey of, of getting that medicine right. And actually just uh, yesterday um, went to see my doctor to change it because mm. I feel like I was seeing some side effects. So it was helping, but uh, maybe not helping enough. So I still struggle with mm. depression. I still struggle with anxiety. I've learned, I've come a long way to work through those things, but I can still suddenly find myself hopeless and I can still suddenly find myself wishing that Carissa could fix those problems for me, that she would be more. And then I have to like catch myself going, okay, wait a minute. Like mm. you said this before, um, maybe she's not the problem. And I have to kind of walk myself logically back mm. through that. And I like to say that Bruce Banner kind of has to outsmart the Hulk. <laughs> Once I become the Hulk, there's no reasoning mm -hmm. with him. But yep. when I'm sober, like let's make as much sense as possible to prevent the Hulk from showing up. Yeah. So it really drives you back to like, that's when the addiction is the most appealing yeah. again. Yeah. Because you're triggered. starting to not think logically again. So I still, struggle, yeah. I still struggle be. with that. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, one of the things that, what the, oftentimes the listener doesn't know is that we, in in these kinds of situations, we have conversations prior to the um, to the actual conversation, and then our podcast producers like stop having conversation because we're this is a really good conversation. You need to have this on the air, and so this, which is why we've stopped having conversations with people preemptively. You know, I know Carissa, you and I spoke preemptively before this just to kind of get a little bit of an understanding of your story. But I told you, I said I don't want to hear too much because we had these rich conversations. And then we're trying to manufacture it. But some of the things that you guys are sharing with me was so powerful because you've now decided you're going to come out with this story and you've just recently done that, mm -hmm. you know, and, yeah. and it's, and it's one of those things, it was really cool because when you came out with it on your blog and, and the video and what you guys did, we immediately had somebody reach out to us and go, Hey, you need to have these guys on the podcast. Their story is fantastic. I was like, what you don't know is I literally just talked to her <laughs> and, and, and what I, what I, all this is to say, I believe that, that God has orchestrated this, this right here for a time such as this. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I believe the people who are listening to this right now, God has providentially brought them to this place where they put headphones in to hear your story mm -hmm. and in all the other mediums that you're going to be sharing it. And it's, and it's in a way to, um, to, to impact others and to help them find hope and healing. You mm -hmm. talked to me a little bit about um, 
what your what your driving motivation is now behind I mean, geez, even just sitting here listening, Carissa, you saying some things that some of it to me like caused me to cringe for you, Cameron. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I mean yeah. and just uh-huh. in all transparency to go, Wow, mm-hmm. you guys are being extremely real and vulnerable. <laughs> and I wanna say thank you. Mm. But what's motivating you to do that? Man, I, I've I've never felt more shamed and humiliated as I did when this happened, when this came out. I felt so low. And and I felt the same way, not as low, but very similar going through infertility. And so I think um, when we feel so much shame around what we're struggling with and we don't share it, it has no chance Mm. of healing. And my heart aches for women who struggle with this behind closed doors Mm -hmm. and for men who are hopeless in their addiction and families are being devastated. I say that pornography and sex addiction is one of the most... um, tragic addictions out there right now because it's free, it's culturally acceptable, mm. it's church shamed, um, it's so available and so hideable. Mm-hmm. And so it is deadly. It is destroying the family system yeah. and ours just about were, was completely destroyed. And we don't want to see that mm. keep happening. And we know that so many people can't share stories as embarrassing as this mm. one. And I said to you earlier that if the devil's going to try to make this public in order to kill us. Mm. You know, let's just keep it public and kill him. Mm. Like, let's just get rid of it and bring everything out into the light. And working through the hardest things I've ever worked through in my life and continue to, I've just found that restoration is not possible for every couple, Mm. but redemption is possible for every person. Mm. And so that's That's the heart of the blog, what we write, the videos, all of it is for people to find healing and to be able to put their dirt out there so that it can be put in the light. Wow. And you're so right. You know, I believe that you said it earlier that it's not necessarily, it's not the devil that's kind of exposed this to light because the devil would have loved for it to live in the Mm -hmm. dark. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's the Lord and His That's kindness so and His mercy that ex- yeah. has exposed it, mm-hmm. and then said, "Hey, I'm going to also redeem this by using it in a profound way." Mm-hmm. Tell mm-hmm. by the I feel like that the devil is going like, "Oh crap," because <laughs> there's a lot of people that are going to find healing because of your testimony. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really, that's is. our hope. That yeah. is really our. It hope. really is. Yeah. I think that for me, when when everything first you know happened and crashed, uh, I wanted to believe that God cared about me and not about my influence or my mm. leadership. Um, and I felt like he really met me in that and said, like, Cameron, I care about you. We're going to take care of you. We don't have to talk about that. Yeah. We don't have to talk about what you're going to do with this. Um, but over time, I felt like he began to show me um, that, because uh, I'm an opportunist and I love helping mm. people. And I felt like he gently said, do you have any idea how, the opportunity you have here? Mm. Like, if you flip the script and held up your weakness for mm. all to see. Uh, <laughs> do you have any idea what that would do? But he let, let me be my choice, which mm. I thought was so loving. And um, I finally just believed like, you know, what I finally understand now is that for years and years, I was trying to use my strength mm. uh, to, to, to show people the glory of God, to help people know him. 
And what I feel like I'm seeing now is that it's my weakness mm-hmm. that is far exceeding any ministry I had yeah. prior to this. Me just saying, here's how much I need God <laughs> uh, is exceeded. Every gift, every strength I've ever tried to use. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like uh, this is such an opportunity. Like if I have to be humiliated, like it's worth it because, and this is, this is probably the last thing I could say is that meeting other men like myself, mm who had just grown up terrified. Mm. Um, I described uh, trauma as, uh, if you remember the movie Jumanji, one last mm. movie reference for you. <laughs> Robin Williams as a child, he goes into the jungle. Yeah. He doesn't come out until he's adult. Mm. When he comes out as an adult, he's afraid of everything. Yeah. And he's defensive. And all he knows is how to protect himself. That's what happens to men who are traumatized mm. as young, you know, young boys. And that's why they protect themselves even like, to their wives. Wow. That's all they know is the way of the jungle. And uh, I see men like that, and I feel like I have experienced healing and, and yeah. recovery that would help them not be scared anymore. Yeah, right. And I just can't keep that to myself. No. Mm-mm. And so if if it takes me looking terrible, uh, like, yeah, yeah, I, I can do that, mm-hmm. like, uh, to, to help other people. So... Um, that, that's why I'm sharing is because mm. I just believe that the Lord has made strong my weakness and I'm incredibly weak and that just shows just how strong he is. Wow. And I love that. I'm so proud of him for that. <laughs> it takes a lot of guts to do that. Well, man, I'm proud of both of you guys. Um, I mean, honestly, I feel, uh, I feel a supernatural presence and power here in this room that I've not felt in a in a long time and a lot of our interviews. And I think that's just testimony to the fact that God is going to use this in a profound way and and get ready. I mean, no doubt the enemy's forces see Mm -hmm. how God's army has rallied around you. And so he's going to start assembling and there's going to be some, some onslaught, but man, I'm telling you, you guys, just to give you some encouragement, you guys continue to press into the Lord and lean into each other and continue to open up those dark places and not let the enemy have any kind of foothold in any of those places and just keep being light. I'm so excited to see what God does with you. Thanks so much. So cool. We appreciate that. Yeah. We're humbled. It's very humbling to be part of it all. Man. Yeah. And also just thank you so much for spending some time with me. Yeah. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Yeah. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. Mel, before we talk a little bit about the close of this conversation with Cameron and Carissa, I want to hear from Julie Dodson. Before you guys hear from Julie Dodson, I want you to know um, who she is, just in case you have not been introduced to her. Julie is an individual couple and family counselor, licensed in the state of Indiana, but she does practice also online. So she counsels people all across the country and um, her undergraduate degrees in marriage and family relations. She's got a master's degree in counseling psychology and her doctoral work is in counseling psychology. She's been a professional counselor for 29 years and serves numerous clients with a variety of issues, um, including anxiety, depression, relationship, intimacy, parenting concerns, self-esteem, motivation, and domestic violence. And she is going to give us a little insight from her perspective on each one of these conversations that we have in the sexual betrayal series. So let's hear from Julie on this one. I want to share a few thoughts about forgiveness. 
Forgiveness is such a critical part of any healthy relationship, certainly any permanent relationship, and absolutely part of recovering from any betrayal of trust in our marriages. There are several misconceptions many of us carry about this topic, which causes difficulties in our willingness to extend it to those who've harmed us. Perhaps the most critical clarification is about how, when, and why we extend forgiveness to others. While this is simple to state, it can seem a bit more difficult to do. We forgive because God forgives us. We forgive because God commands it. We forgive because we want God to continue to offer his gracious forgiveness to us as well. From a biblical perspective, we forgive immediately. In other words, the moment we become aware of the infraction by the other person. We forgive completely. There are no exceptions or exclusions to the requirement to forgive others. And we forgive willingly with a joyful heart. Here are a few other misunderstandings which I've noticed can cause consternation when we're confronted with the opportunity to offer forgiveness. We often tend to interpret that forgiveness somehow diminishes the significance of the sin. So we're disinclined to extend it because we don't want to suggest that what the other person did was no big deal. I would submit, however, that exactly the opposite is the truth. First, the issue of forgiveness would not even arise if the infraction was not meaningful, would it? And second, if forgiveness in any way reduces the significance of sin, then all that Jesus suffered to accomplish our forgiveness on the cross would be a horrible waste of his efforts, wouldn't it? So I urge you to understand that the very need for forgiveness proves the significance of the sin. It in no way diminishes its meaning or significance. Another confusion we have is that sometimes we confuse forgiveness with forgetting. This misunderstanding can lead to either choosing not to even consider offering forgiveness until our memory of it fades, or we interpret that because we've not forgotten the infraction, the forgiveness we chose to extend must not have worked or been legitimate. The reality is that we're not God. We do not have God's ability to bury our sin or somebody else's in a sea of forgetfulness as far as the East is from the West. I'm sure we all ardently wish we had this ability at times, but we simply do not. So if we use forgetfulness as having any relevance to forgiveness, we will be inclined to withhold it longer than we should, or we will unnecessarily question the legitimacy of the forgiveness we have indeed obediently extended. We also often confuse forgiveness with how we feel. The truth is that forgiveness is a choice. It is an act of the will. It has nothing to do with how we feel about the other person or about what they did to us. We simply choose to extend forgiveness because we know it is what we are required to do. We also sometimes question if we've truly forgiven since we continue to have feelings about it. Again, our feelings are completely irrelevant to both our choice to offer forgiveness as well as the question of whether or not we've genuinely extended forgiveness. I often think that Jesus' response that we should forgive 70 times 7 to Peter when asked how many times we should forgive someone who sins against us is a reminder that because we will continue to have feelings and memories about it, we can use our thoughts and feelings as a cue to reaffirm our choice to forgive. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. While reconciliation absolutely requires forgiveness, forgiveness does not require nor demand reconciliation. 
and one does not automatically follow the other. I'm sure it goes without stating that I am encouraging you to choose to forgive anyone against whom you are currently holding any type of grudge. I urge this for your sake, regardless of the present state of the relationship and regardless of what you may or may not hope for that relationship. It is important to note that reconciliation is impossible without forgiveness. It is equally important to note that forgiveness does not demand reconciliation. If you're married to someone who will simply not stop committing adultery, you should choose to forgive him or her as many times as they choose that infraction. However, you're not required to remain in that marriage, even from the strictest and most fundamental biblical interpretation. God does not remove us from the natural consequences of our own sinful choices, and we are not required to do so for another person either. In fact, I sincerely believe that often the least kind, loving, or respectful choice we can make is to continue protecting someone from those natural or logical consequences. Some of us must experience the full weight of the consequences and repercussions we've chosen in order to choose differently in the future. Julie, that is so good. Thank you for Mm -hmm. all of your thoughts. Thank you for being here today with us. That was so great. Um, So this is not the end of our sexual portrayal series. We will have um, a few more episodes and Julie will actually be joining us again at the end of our next episode next week. So um, I'm looking forward to hearing more of her thoughts. And Mel, what what I love about all of these episodes that our listeners are about to hear in this series is that regardless of what, especially, especially if you are married or if you, um, even in dating relationships, you're going to, you're going to learn so many different insights on how to have healthy relationships, healthy, um, intimate relationships. And so this Mm -hmm. is not necessarily just for somebody who has experienced some kind of a, a betrayal or sexual betrayal or affair or anything like that. Um, um, this, th- there's just so many good, helpful um, nuggets um, and hopeful nuggets on how to build a healthy relationship. Um, and so I, I just want to make sure that we, we make that point that, man, you're going to want to hear these stories because they they're just incredible. They're incredible. I, I agree. I agree. Such a beautiful picture of forgiveness and mm-hmm. hope in the series. So, um, we also want to thank Ryan at sleeping at last. Ryan is brilliant. He has some amazing things out there. I have been telling people recently, if you don't know your Enneagram number, (laughs) just go ahead and listen to sleeping at last song on each of the numbers and you will probably figure it out easier than actually taking the test. That's probably true right there. You just listen to his songs and his podcast. If you just start crying during one of his Enneagram songs, then boom, you know, that's your Enneagram. (laughs) He also just came out with another song. It's actually a cover, um, a cover song that, uh, on Grey's Anatomy. So he's just been featured on Grey's Anatomy again. They kind of have this like working relationship. So you probably hear stuff all over the place. Thank you, Ryan, for providing this music. Yes, For the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. So, well, here is a snippet of next week's episode with Sarah Rummel. Then through a series of events, found Mercy, ended up applying, got into their program. And so when I was coming home from Mercy... My team there felt very strongly that I was not supposed to go back and live with this family. Mm. And I just kind of young and ignorant, like I didn't know any better. And really, like I felt like the two choices I was faced with were like, okay, go back to my parents' house, like right back into like my childhood bedroom, like where there's drugs in the home Mm -hmm. or 
go back and live with this family that's been nothing but good for me yeah. or to me. And I mean, they had like paid all my bills when I was gone so I could leave mm -hmm. and took over my car payment. Like, I mean, they did a lot for me. And my counselor specifically was like, Sarah, if you go back, this is what's going to happen. And I was like, you're nuts. Mm. That is not going to happen. That's crazy. And so I chose to go back. So they saw some some signs. Just, yeah, of, some of the things that I had shared in counseling yeah, or whatever. Some dysfunction and, there that would have really been detrimental yeah. to you. Yeah. Okay. And so I chose to go back. Mm. And then, you know, it took me six months to overcome that drug addiction and to find some freedom. And it took me about six months to lose it all. Mm. Wow. So you went back into this family that had taken care of you and six months later you're diving right back into drugs. Yeah. Why? What was the catalyst for that to um, diving back into drugs? Yeah. So this is the, the tough stuff. Yeah. This is the stuff we're here to talk about. Um, within six months of coming home, I started to have an affair with my pastor, mm. which is also the man that I was living with. 